welcome to Living That Belle V. I am your host, Monday Young, life international life and business coach. And today I am speaking with Jamie Glelbtuck, founder of Culture Mixology, which is a consulting firm that uses new and innovative ways to help people manage the complexity, uncertainty, and personal challenges presented by living and working in an international environment. Now, the woman I'll be speaking with today, Jamie, is a consultant who is in New York City, who has worked in all kinds of corporations, helping them to navigate those cultural differences and to be able to, um, for people to be able to live and work in a better way together. And how I got to know Jamie was I read an article by her that I thought was really interesting. And it was about how silence can speak volumes, but what it says across different cultures. Now, this is an aspect about cultural communication that I had never thought about before. So I wanted to have her come on and to talk a bit more about her work and those subtle cultural difficulties that can lead to um, cultural misunderstandings and how we can be aware of different things when we're communicating to each other that don't always mean with what we think it does. So hello, Jamie, and thank you for coming to speak with me today. Hi, Monday. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really looking forward to our chat. Yes. So Jamie, I want to start this interview off by you just telling me a bit about yourself, um, the work you do and your international experience, how you got into doing what you're doing. Sure. So um, the work I do is basically working with people that are different than me and helping them work better with people that are different than them. So every day is a, a new learning experience. And I uh, basically coach and train expats and global teams to work better across cultures. Um, so my own background, you know, growing up, um, I grew up in New York and I didn't travel much as a child, to be honest. Um, my dad had a job where he was always traveling for work, so we didn't travel so much in the, the downtime. Um, but I learned French as a child from my mom, who was a French teacher before I was born, and I knew that I loved languages and went on to just immerse myself in the study of languages and culture and um, work in a French company nice. for a number of years, went back, did an MBA, um, was able to finish that in South Africa, spend a lot of time in, in many places for work, for studies, for travel. And for the past 14 years, I've had cultural mixology where I, I get to do this work every day and hopefully help other people um, work more effectively. Great. So I want. So I wanted to. I know that you also you speak more than French, right? You you speak a couple different languages. I do. If that if I, do I have that right? I do. Um, I started teaching myself Spanish during my French classes in, in high school, and then went on to study French and Spanish. Um, to take a few years of Portuguese, study Arabic as a hobby. So I absolutely love languages and and the importance of them in, in communication. I love stu studying Arabic as a hobby. I'm not sure that that's a hobby that I would be able to <laughs> be able to accomplish, but I think that's a pretty, that's a pretty ambitious hobby, you know, like <laughs> studying Arabic as a hobby. So what would you, would you say that learning those languages, did, did that give you a deeper insight into the culture and cultural differences 
as communication is concerned? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, um, and you may find this as well, but, you know, the expressions that cultures use, the way that they use language, um, the way that they use silence, right, which is uh, an important part of communication or are very important windows into that, that culture. And the more of the language that you can understand, the better you can understand the culture. So, even if it's just a, you know, just a few words, a few expressions, there's, they're often very telling. Yeah, I mean, I know that, you know, I know that me and you do similar work. So um, this is one of the biggest things for people, right, when they're moving abroad, especially when you're of a certain age is learning that language, right? That That's, some people can go, can live in a place for a long time and never learn the language. Um, and, 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 and that can continuously make them feel like an outsider. So for you, how important is it to for someone to engage in the language to feel connected to the culture that they're living in? Uh, I think it's really, it's extremely important. It doesn't mean that uh, you will achieve uh, fluency or, or complete mastery over a language, but to at least make the effort is important to show that you're making the effort to show that you have some curiosity about the place that you're living or the culture with which you're interacting. Um, you know, even as you referenced my, my hobby of studying Arabic, uh, it's not uh, it's not a language that I believe I'll ever achieve any degree of fluency in, but just, you know, <laughs> learning to understand some of the, the grammar, the expressions, the way things are used sure. uh, already gives you some some insight into into that culture. And do you think people treat you differently when you're making that effort to to speak their language and to understand them, you know, on that communication level? Do you think that that in your work have you seen how does that change the level of respect between two, you know, two different cultures when the other person is making an effort to speak their language? I definitely do. And, you know, I think that's true in life in general, right? When we feel that people are making an effort toward, toward something, toward a goal, toward relationship building, um, that it, that it does cultivate uh, respect for that, for that person. And what would you say, you know, I know you, you work in a lot of corporations, helping corporations navigate those those cultural differences and educating people on culture, what would you say is the biggest challenge that you've seen, um, you know, with different cultures integrating into a, you know, a larger corporate structure, or maybe for those people who are coming from a different culture, wanting to work in a corporation, a large corporation, what challenges might they, you know, be able to prepare for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, I guess a few things come to mind, you know, number one, just people's attitudes in general. Um, Sometimes, you know, when people ask, Mm. is there an easier or more challenging culture or cultural pair to move, you know, between, and it really comes down to people's attitude toward the change. I, you know, I've worked with um, people that are on their fifth relocation and are really humble and say they, you know, right. uh, pretend I know nothing. Mm-hmm. I want to learn everything. And I've learned with, I've worked with people that are on their first relocation who think they know everything. <laughs> and so, you know, I think part of it comes down to attitude. Right. Um, another challenge. 
exactly, to really to come from a place of curiosity. Um, I think no matter how much we know, there are always some things we don't know or can't know about a culture that's not our own. Um, and so maybe looking for those yeah. spaces to learn. In, you know, I think a second challenge is that sometimes a corporate culture can override the national culture of where you're working. And so certain things may not line up with the you know, if you're working in the U.S. in a Brazilian company, you're, you know, you may think about, okay, I'm moving to the U.S., but if you're working in a, in a more Brazilian environment here, then mm. that corporate culture mm. may be askew to what you're expecting. Um, so in those, um, in, in all of our multicultural worlds today, I think it really comes down to what's the team culture that we create and how we establish that, because it's not going to be necessarily one cultural way or, or another. So, I mean, I mean, that's interesting what you say, because it's true, like uh, being inside a corporation can be like being in your own little bubble or your own, your own little world, right? When you walk into that building, it isn't, what's inside isn't necessarily what you experience in, in your, in your everyday life and I think when you come from different cultures they must have very different ways of working or looking at ways of working absolutely and so you know the challenge is really to to sort out you know the levels of culture what which parts of this are the corporate culture which parts of this are my colleagues coming from more of national culture tendencies which things are generational which things are just personality sure. and not cultural at all, but just because I'm Jamie and you're right. Monday and that's just our personality and how we deal with, deal with things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I guess that understanding keeps people from being offended, I guess, because like, you know, I, I, I would say when, um, when I first moved to France, my, my ex-husband or my husband at the time was Dutch and he was like, mm -hmm. when do they work? Like they come in, they have a coffee, you know, we start at 10, 10 30, you know, and then we're taking lunch and then they take more than an hour for lunch. And then everybody wants to leave at five. So he, for him, it was just like, he couldn't get his, his head around this working culture. And it really bothered him for a really long time. Now he loves it, but it did take a while for him to understand how they still were able to get things accomplished, even if they didn't do it in a sort of as structured way that he was used to. But I mean, it really took a long time for him to gather that understanding. It's such an important point. And, you know, I think in our work, there's there's the cliche of the cultural iceberg and the, the things we see on top and the things that go on underneath. Mm -hmm. The important part of that, though, is really that what's underneath yeah. is why. It's what drives everything we see on the surface. So if we can at least try to understand the why, mm. we may not like it or agree with it, but we can reduce how judgmental we are about mm. it because we can just understand where someone might sure. be coming from, even if it's not our style of working or way of living. Yeah, because I think that can also um cause isolation as well like if you're judging people all the time because of the way they do things and you don't think it's right that's i mean people are going to feel that judgment and that's really not going to help you come together and and you know if if you feel like someone's judging you or thinks the way they do it or their culture is better than yours right 
Exactly. You know, when we create those narratives and those thoughts and attach them to what we see, it doesn't, um, it doesn't serve us. Um, so, you know, it, it's not about whether it's right or wrong. It's just about whether thinking that way will, will really help us in the adaptation that we're, we're trying to achieve. Um, and in most cases it doesn't, or it serves us by intentionally keeping us isolated. So sometimes we get into that thought pattern where, where we're actually creating, creating that dynamic for ourselves by continuing to stick to those narratives. Yeah, I can imagine. And I think that it's, you know, I think everything we do is just like you said, a relationship. Everybody should be trying to understand each other as much as possible before you make a judgment, right? And not to just jump to conclusions that, and I think that's the biggest thing, you know, going into the subject we're gonna be talking about silence is not to jump to conclusions about what someone meant uh, by a certain thing based on your cultural measures is to, like you said, find out the why first before you make that sort of ultimate sort of judgment about what what this person did or said might mean. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, I think coming up when in our in our um, exploration of what things might mean, always having more than more than two options you know, always trying to come up with at least three options of what something might mean. Because when we have two, yeah. then we, we tend to label them like a, a right or sure. wrong and um, they get more more polarized in our thinking. So so as I, you know, mentioned in the beginning, you know, how I, how I sort of connected with you is because I read the article that you wrote that I thought was really interesting that was called How Silence Can Speak uh, Volumes, but um, what it says across different cultures. So can you tell me a bit about why you decided to write that article? Absolutely. And I remember it really clearly. I was working with a woman from China who relocated here to the New York area. And I can just picture that little conference room we were sitting in a few years ago. And she was really struggling with um, feeling that her colleagues here were always talking and speaking up in meetings and that, you know, she wasn't able to do that as easily. And we got into this conversation around silence. And, you know, I just, I guess the coach in me started asking her, well, you know, Mm. what does silence mean to you? Or what does that mean in your working environment, you know, back in China? And then I you know, started asking her, well, what else could it mean? You know, what else? What else? (laughs) And we, you know, we were kind of just were having this conversation. And when I went home, I thought, you know, wow, that that was so interesting, really, just to get into all of the different meanings of silence. And so that that session was the inspiration for writing this. Yeah, because I think sometimes as Americans, we tend to think the whole world functions how we function, right? And and I know Asian cultures, like such as Japanese and Chinese is very hierarchical. There's a lot of like formal respect sort of protocols built into their corporate lives. I, I mean, I don't know as much as in their everyday lives, but I know working that there are some very clear formalities. Um, and sometimes you may not speak when your boss is speaking or it's out of turn to do this in this way. Um, so I think sometimes the biggest assumption that we have is that everybody communicates the same way or the culture functions the same, um, when actually 
people might not be speaking up, not because they don't have ideas, but because they're trying to respect uh, your space or because you're their superior or they don't want to overshadow you or things like that. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that education, excuse me, education plays a huge role in some of these these patterns and, you know, cultivating some of these values. And so in the example you just gave, Mm. you know, growing up in the US in school, you're, you're graded quite heavily on participation. So you're rewarded for that positively. Mm. And then you go into the workplace. And that's a behavior that you've learned is that it's, you know, it's, it's good to, to constantly be raising your hand and speaking up. And so it it becomes, you know, sometimes over participation in meetings, whereas, you know, in a school environment in um, China or Japan or Korea, you may show more respect or deference for the the teacher. And you're not graded so much on just how much you raise your hand and participate. So you may come into a, a meeting environment in the US and bring those patterns and it will look like a uh, silence or under participation. Mm, mm, mm. So I want to get into the the different elements of that article. And I know that um, one of the things that you talked about, you know, and what we just touched on a bit is silence as a signal of respect. And I mean, do you think in the States that that goes wrong a little bit? Like, um, maybe not even just in the States is, would you, would you say like as an Anglophone culture, you know, we view silence differently than, than other cultures. How does, how do we get this sort of idea around our ideas around silence? Mm-hmm. I definitely think that, that here in the U S silence tends to be viewed negatively. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, again, I, I think a lot of that goes back to education, not just silence, but but almost everything we see in the workplace, you know, the way we do performance evaluations, the way we interact with our bosses, mm. um, the way we participate in meetings, all of these things, you know, are learned behaviors that, that come often from how we're trained in school. So I do think that in the U.S. it's often viewed negatively when you sit in silence in a meeting, for example, that it makes, makes things awkward, right? For us, it's like awkward silences. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's it's a great example, right? Just using like the term like, oh, it's an awkward silence or I don't want to have any awkward silence. Um, yeah. And I always tell people they can yeah. test it out just just we try to be silent, <laughs> see how long it lasts. <laughs> Somebody will jump in to fill it probably pretty quickly. So <laughs> like a staring contest, like who's going to break first? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So another thing you talk about is silence may be interpreted as a lack of interest, attention, or thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, just, I guess, maybe expanding on what we were saying earlier is, you know, we could take that example in the workplace of what happens in meetings. And in, in meetings, you know, many times, so, you know, you're in France right now, or 
if we were in Germany, you know, you might participate in a meeting if you have expertise or credibility yeah. on a topic. Sure. Um, and if not, you you might not. You would you'd be an observer Listening. or a listener, and there wouldn't yeah. necessarily be a negative judgment. Right, right, right. And you know, in the U.S., it tends to be that if you sit quietly through a meeting. Um, it, it does signal sometimes that, oh, you know, Monday must not be interested or not paying attention. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like it's boring, world. right? So we find all sorts of, yeah, we find all sorts of ways to participate that don't necessarily add value, right? Like mm. I might say something mm. like, oh, I totally agree with what Monday said and we should move in that direction, which really I didn't say anything at all, but I spoke up. So people feel like, okay, Jamie's here. She's, she's listening. Engaged, she's paying attention. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the same mm -hmm. thing in relationships, right? We all, we all go through that. It's just like, if you're talking to your partner and they don't say anything, you'll be like, are you listening to me? <laughs> you know, if they're not like saying, mm, oh, okay. Absolutely. And what they say and what they do, you know, you're, you're looking for that validation of, while I'm speaking, those prompts to say, okay, I'm here, I've heard the information, you know, I've added, you know, a little validation to what you're saying, you know, and women always get upset. My, you know, I can say with my husband, it's like that. He's not the hugest communicator. Sometimes it's just like grunts, you know, it's like, mm, mm. I'm like, can you verbalize? Like, why are you just looking at me like a deer in the headlights? Mm -hmm. Like, do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? But he's just a less verbal person than me. Right. And I just had to get used to that. Like I'm used to talking and, and it's like, he's not your girlfriend. This is your husband. And he spends all day talking in meetings and all of this stuff. So by the time he gets home, he's like talked out, you know? Well, it's really interesting. I mean, like you just made that connection between, you know, silence and thinking someone's not listening, whereas the silence might mean they're reflecting. Yeah, it might yeah. mean they're not as verbal of a of a person, right? It might it might mean in mm -hmm. the case of global work, somebody is translating in their head maybe what you said and what they want their response to be. So, you know, it's uh it's it's widening our perspective on what that silence might mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know it's helped me, right? I talked, I had to talk to my partner about why do you just look at me like a deer in the headlights? Like, and he's like, well, I take time to process information, you know, and then he'll say something to me the next day. And so if I hadn't asked that question, I would have just keep getting offended by, and you know, and sometimes he says, look, I, I talk all day in these Zoom meetings now, and I just, you know, I, I'm listening, but I just, at the moment, I don't have any more energy to continue to communicate, right? And which I can understand because our life is all Zoom meetings now, you know, one Zoom meeting from another and four or five hours of that. And you're like, I don't want to talk anymore. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And so you kind of, you got back, you got down to that why, right? That we were talking about a few minutes ago, you know, why and, yeah. and finding out what is yeah. that? What does that silence or perceived silence mean in this particular situation? Yeah, yeah, sure. And another thing you mentioned is silence often occurs during language translation. Now, this one I really liked because I think that's something we don't think about, right? That even if sometimes we're talking to someone who does speak English, you know, when we're just like, blah, 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 you know, the person may not have this the level of of comprehension that you think 
Um, and I think you have to get to really a certain level in a language where you stop translating in your mind. So it is true that there's a delay if you're still at that level in, in learning the language where you're still, where you're still translating. Absolutely. You know, and sometimes, you know, like you said, we assume that because our colleagues, you know, speak the same language we're speaking, which in global business is, is often English, that, you know, they're able to um, process everything at the same pace. Um, you know, yeah. if we're speaking rapidly, if we're using a lot of expressions, if we're using idioms, and they mm. may need a, a few extra seconds to gather their thoughts to find the right expression. Um, this is, you know, particularly challenging, I think, in virtual work, when we don't have the the um, other nonverbal cues, the facial expressions, or, you know, the eye contact, you know, sometimes when we're face to face, and someone's thinking, you know, they might look up to the corner, and we're able to tell, but if we're on a zoom call without a camera, or we're on the phone, and we just have that silence, we might start to get uncomfortable, because we don't know what's going on without those other nonverbal cues. Um, so th this one can be especially challenging in virtual environments. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and another thing that you talk about is that sometimes silence doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything at all. Yeah. I mean, I think as with, you know, many things in life, we can overthink a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things and, you know, it's that process of unraveling and, and, um, untangling and figuring out, you know, could this be cultural? Could this be um, something? Or and sometimes it's it's just not. Sometimes we're just reading into something um, that's not there. So you know, with culture, I always encourage people to start with the question: Could it be cultural? But be also open-minded enough to rule it out if, in fact, it's not something cultural. And I would say it's the same thing with silence. There are many things it could mean, and sometimes it just doesn't mean anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jamie, I just want to thank you so much for coming on here and talking about this very interesting subject. Uh, and, you know, and it's always, you know, they always say it's all in the details. And I think that has a lot to do with different areas of our life that it's in the details. And we have to be paying sometimes really attention to the subtle cues that may be triggering things or creating misunderstandings that we ourselves weren't even particularly aware of. Um, but I want you to tell everyone where they can find you. They can find this article. Um, so I'll go ahead and give you a minute to let everybody know how they can contact you and read more about your about your articles on culture. Yeah, thank you, Monday. Um, thank you for a really interesting conversation today. So um, you can find that article and all of the regular culture tips on the Cultural Mixology website, so culturalmixology.com. And you can follow the regular postings on Instagram, so it's cultural.mixology. And um, 
yeah, that's that's the best way to, to find everything. For all those who are interested in learning more about this subject and other ones, all the I will be putting all the details to contact Jamie and her site, Culture Mixology. You'll find them in the description of on the website and all the posts. And I really hope everyone enjoy this and we welcome all your comments and questions. And I thank everyone for listening and I look forward to speaking with you next time. Bye, Jamie. Bye, Monday. Thank you.